Well, good evening, family. It's, uh, it's great to be with you all. Uh, if I haven't met you, net, met you yet, my name is Dan Mackett, and my wife Alyssa and I have been coming to Delray for just over a year. We moved here from Wisconsin last May. Uh, we both work at International Justice Mission, which is a nonprofit that a few of us here work at. So that's why we moved out here from Wisconsin. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a joy to, to be here, to be uh, with you all, and to open God's word. Um, and tonight we're going to be focusing our time on Romans 15, 7. So if you guys would turn with me there now, uh, we will read it together. So Romans 15, 7. Yeah, our, our text says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's just read it again. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, I want you to think back to your first time walking into Delray on a Sunday morning. What was that experience like? Was it a positive memory? Did you feel welcomed by the church body? And if so, why did you feel welcomed? Now, I want you to imagine a little bit different of a scenario. Imagine walking into Delray for the first time, and as you were heading into the sanctuary, the greeter or one of the elders told you to sit in the section that was specifically for your skin color or race. Or, upon walking into the sanctuary, the elder just knew uh, what you were wearing, what car you drove in, uh, your income level. And based on that, he, he directed you to a section of the church. The poor would be on the left, the rich would be on the right. Or lastly, uh, if you were walking in and, and it was clear that, that Republicans were on the left, uh, uh, moderates were in the middle, and then Democrats were on the other section. And then after the service, after you sat through teaching and you sung together, uh, none, of the, none of the groups mingled with one another. It was completely separate. They, they kept to their own groups. So even if the gospel was faithfully preached from the pulpit that Sunday, how would you think back to that experience? Would you feel welcomed, or would you feel like an outcast? And after leaving the service, would you be believing the gospel more deeply, or would you be questioning what Christianity is all about? And if you were a non-believer for the first time, what would you believe about Jesus after that experience? The fact of the matter is this. You would not feel welcomed and would not experience the beauty of the gospel lived out faithfully by a body of believers. It would just be like any other experience that the world offers, one where earthly, temporal appearances rule the way that people treat one another. While I know that's a bit of an extreme example, it does reveal the heart posture that is so often true in our churches today. Because the way that believers in church welcome one another and outsiders, especially when there are apparent differences, tells a story to a world that's watching. So this brings us to our main point for tonight. Because Christ has welcomed you into his kingdom, welcome one another for the glory of God and the spread of the gospel. Because Christ has welcomed you into his kingdom, welcome one another for the glory of God and the spread of the gospel. So while we're focusing our text tonight on verse 7, it will be helpful for us to do two things to really unpack this. First, we need to define the word welcome. Now, throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament, welcome really means to take as one's companion. It's much more than simply saying hello or greeting one another. It is actually a sacrificial and hospitable love shown to fellow believers. 
Secondly, we need to read and understand the first six verses of chapter 15 to help us unpack what this command is for us. So let's read it together now. Romans 15, 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So we're going to look at this passage tonight in three movements. First, we're going to look at the context of the welcome one another command. Secondly, we're going to explore how Jesus has welcomed us. And then lastly, we'll consider how we actually welcome one another. So let's begin with movement one, the context of the command. Now from chapter 14, we see the Roman church, which was made up of Gentile and Jewish believers, they had very different convictions regarding earthly related topics. These differences in conviction mainly stem from their separate cultural backgrounds. They um, had convictions regarding what type of food and drink were acceptable and what days should be set apart and holy for the Lord. But it's important to recognize that these convictional differences were not gospel-centric differences. Believers in the Roman church could have maintained these differences and been completely unified and welcoming of one another. However, we see that they began to have judgment and contempt in their hearts towards one another. And we know that judgment and contempt never produces love. It never produces a desire to serve or be hospitable towards another brother or sister. And if this body of believers was to show the watching world who Christ truly was, this needed to be dealt with. So therefore, Paul stresses in verses 1 and 2 that we are to actively look for ways to serve one another for their good, not for ours. He says that a humble posture that desires to serve is a welcoming posture. And this posture is one in which the Spirit desired for the Roman church, but also for us tonight as well. So if we look around in the room, that we, we see that Delray Baptist is indeed a diverse church. Praise God that we have many different ethnicities, income levels, cultural habits, hobbies, political affiliations. But if, if we're honest with ourselves, as welcoming of a church as we may be, there are certain differences that we see in our brothers and sisters that tempt our hearts towards judgment and contempt. And if birth is indeed given to judgment and contempt, we can be sure that it will produce unwelcoming behavior toward one another, and that is not in accord with gospel-transformed living. So the question we need to ask is, why are our hearts prone to be unwelcoming of one another? And to be frank, this posture is first produced in us because of our unwelcoming disposition towards God. Ever since the garden, we have not welcomed God's rightful rule and reign in our own lives. And this is true for every person. Think about this. How many times before you were a believer did you not want to welcome Christ into your life? Were there earthly things or treasures that you desperately wanted to hold on to that you knew Christ would call you to let go of? 
And how did you treat him because of that? And when you did become a believer through the Spirit's gracious, regenerating work in your heart, do you continually welcome Christ to rule every part of your life? Or are you holding on to secret sins? You and I have not welcomed Christ, the God of the universe, in a way that's fitting for the glory that's due his name. And because of that, Christ does have every right not to welcome us. He has every right to leave us to our own destructive way. But that's not what he did. Which brings us to point two. Jesus has graciously welcomed you. Verse three tells us this. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And verse seven then says, as Christ has welcomed you. From day one of Jesus' life, let's think about how he was welcomed. Herod first ordered him to be murdered. And then during his ministry, he is rejected by the religious leaders. He's driven out of countless towns, even his hometown. He's attempted to be mobbed. You get the point. For basically all of Jesus' life, his children, whom he created, rejected him and treated him with judgment, contempt, and hate. But how did Jesus respond to our behavior, which was completely contrary to his character? Did he respond how you and I would, or how the Roman church would? He did the exact opposite. Let's think of the story of Jesus and the leper. What did Jesus do? Jesus actively went to the outcast man and touched him to heal him. Against all cultural norms, Jesus loved this man sacrificially. Jesus showed him a picture of God welcoming us to the Father through his righteous life. And let's think of Jesus with the woman at the well. Did he have to go through Samaria, as the text says? By human standards, absolutely not. But he did it anyway. He went to the woman who was outcast by society and living in repeated adultery. And he offered her eternal life through him. Jesus puts all the ways that we are completely different than him, and he shows us incomprehensible grace. And this grace was on full display at the climax of his life. Romans 5, 6 tells us that while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Not only did Christ actively welcome a people completely and utterly different to him, but he died for them. Christ did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He obediently died the death that you and I deserved, absorbing the wrath of God once and for all so that he could offer the only perfect sacrifice that could welcome us back to restored fellowship with the Father. And three days later, he rose from the grave, proving his sacrifice was indeed perfect and it was accepted. And then what's astonishing is one of the first things Jesus does is that he appears to his disciples to share a meal with them. And these were the same disciples that only three days prior were rejecting him and denying him in front of others. Jesus' posture is one of welcoming. It is one of an active companionship. He puts, our aside, he puts aside our rejection of him and he offers us a new and better life. And now for those of us that believe this gospel, and have received the promised Holy Spirit, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So our old unwelcoming self has been crucified and our body of sin, which doesn't naturally welcome one another, must be brought to nothing. 
But how does, this, how does our, our body of sin actually be brought to nothing? How do we overcome our natural, unwelcoming disposition toward God and toward one another? And Paul gives us this answer in verses 4 through 6. He shows us how we can welcome one another. So first, Paul states the necessity of being firmly planted in the word of God. He says, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Paul is saying that unless you and I are patiently and faithfully reading and applying the word of God in our lives, our hope of being a unified and diverse body that welcomes one another, that possibility greatly diminishes. Why is this the case? Why is the word of God necessary? Paul then gives us the answer. He says that scripture gives us endurance, encouragement, and hope. Reading the word of God does many things, but it primarily points us back to the gospel. It daily reminds us that apart from God's saving mercy, we would still be dead in our trespasses. The word of God will always produce endurance because it shows us how Christ endures with us despite our continual backsliding. The word of God will always produce encouragement because it reminds us of a God who is always faithful to fulfill his promises. And the word of God will always produce hope because we know that one day we will live and worship God forevermore in unmatched glory. So brothers and sisters, we will not be able to put aside our differences and welcome one another well through sacrificial and hospitable love if we are not in the word of God. Secondly, Paul shows us that we need the Holy Spirit's power. Verses 5 and 6 say, say this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now did you catch what Paul was doing here? He transitions to a prayer. Paul begins to pray that God would produce harmony between believers so that we may with one voice glorify God. With this brief transition, we are reminded that without prayer and without the Spirit's power producing harmony in us, we will not be able to welcome one another. And lastly, Paul reminds us that this command is not grounds to welcome one another's sin. Verse 5 says that our harmony is to be in accord with Christ Jesus. There is no harmony in a church when there is active, unrepentant sin. Sin will always destroy people, and it always destroys unity. So if we are going to live in harmony, we will welcome one another's differences, but we will not condone disobedience to God's word. In Acts 2, we see a picture of a body of believers that is living out the way that Paul talks about in our text. Chapter 2 says this, And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The church in Acts 2 held fast to the reading of God's word, to prayer, and welcoming one another. They were hospitable, breaking bread together in their homes, despite all of the cultural, economic, or political differences between them. And because of this, we see that God produced in them a unified and harmonious church that attracted outsiders to the beauty of the gospel lived out. And what a glorious example and challenge to us. If we take seriously the call to radically and sacrificially welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed us, glory is given to God and God will use it to save more sinners. 
So Delray, what does this mean for us? I have three specific ways in which I want to challenge us to welcome one another this week and in the weeks to come. First, on Sunday mornings, let's actually welcome one another. Say hello to everyone you have the privilege of sitting next to, walking past, or serving alongside. Ask them intentional questions about their life and how their walks with the Lord are going. And it can be tempting for us, and I'm mainly speaking from my own personal experience, to sit in the same seat every Sunday and say hi to the friends that I'm already close with. While it is good to do that, I miss out on opportunities to meet new brothers and sisters or even see a new visitor to the church. Alyssa and I vividly remember our first Sunday at Delray. Many of you went out of your way, out of your way to introduce yourself and get to know us, and we walked away feeling incredibly welcomed and incredibly loved. And as a result, we knew right away that we wanted to join this church. Never underestimate the power of simply saying hello and how are you doing. Secondly, do not withhold any chance you have to serve a brother or sister because of judgment or bitterness in your heart that stems from a difference you have with them. For example, if you saw a brother or sister post something on Facebook that you disagreed with, say politically, and you see them on Sunday morning, you may be tempted to avoid them. Instead, I want to challenge you to confess any potential sin that's creeping into your heart and find a way to welcome them through words or a sacrificial act of love. Avoidance is not love, it is sin. Pursue your brother and sister and see how the Spirit will produce companionship between you both that is centered on the gospel, not on anything else. And lastly, let us welcome people into our homes and let, it, let us do it often. To be invited into someone's home is to be invited into deeper companionship with them. The home is a place of intimacy and community, and it is a place where conversations about life and the gospel flourish, and it is a place where generous hospitality can actually take place. So this week or next, invite someone in the church who is new, who you don't know, or who you don't think you have anything in common with into your home. Serve them and get to know them. And you will be surprised how much more you have in common with them because of the gospel than in ways in which you may be different. The call to welcome one another is a joyful call into deeper fellowship with Christ and with his church. And as we obey the command, God will produce harmony and unity between us that with one voice we will proclaim the beauty of the gospel to a world that so desperately needs him. So brothers and sisters, because Christ has welcomed us into his kingdom forevermore, let us welcome one another for the glory of God and the spread of the gospel here and in the world.